Hello, my name is Kate Chesterman. I'm a GP in South Norfolk and I also co-host the GP Notebook Education Study Groups. Welcome to GP Notebook Podcasts, where we present bite-sized topics aimed at all those working in primary care. You can find us on all major podcast channels, including Spotify, Apple and Google. You can follow us on Twitter at GP Notebook, or you can follow me personally at Chesterman Kate for more information about our new podcasts and study groups as they become available. Please do visit gpnotebookpodcast.com for show notes, references and resources for all our podcasts. Finally, you can also visit gpnotebookeducation.com to learn more about our upcoming GP Notebook study groups and download free resources such as our series of shortcuts. Now today I'm going to be discussing the diagnosis and management of cluster headaches. And the reason for choosing this topic is that I recently had a consultation with a very knowledgeable patient. She had suffered with cluster headaches and migraines for some time and wanted to discuss acute and preventative treatment. She was in her 30s and was hoping to start a family in the near future. Her only prescribed medication was an oral triptan for the management of her headaches. Unfortunately, she only found these moderately effective and she was still getting frequent attacks of both her migraines and cluster headaches. Because of her wish to become pregnant, she was very keen to avoid regular oral medications and she wanted to ask my opinion of both oxygen therapy for acute attacks and neuromodulation for prophylaxis as she had come across these options when doing her own research into the management of her condition. I realised during this consultation that my knowledge of the management of cluster headaches was lacking. And other than suggesting a referral to neurology, I didn't feel I could add a significant amount to this patient's already considerable knowledge base. I was pretty sure that I couldn't arrange neuromodulation from primary care, but what about oxygen? Was this an indication for prescribing in primary care? And if it is, then what do I prescribe? And what alternative options are there for both acute and preventative management? Luckily, we have available some excellent resources to help guide our management in primary care. And for this discussion, I've drawn information from the NICE guidance on the diagnosis and management of headaches, a BMJ article from earlier this year, looking at recent advances in the diagnosis and management of cluster headaches, a BMJ best practice paper and several local guidelines. And you can find these listed in the show notes for this podcast. So we're going to start by considering the diagnosis of cluster headaches. And I think this is really important. The NICE guideline on headaches highlights the importance of establishing a positive diagnosis explaining that condition and reassuring the patient that other pathology has been excluded. Headache diaries can be invaluable in establishing the frequency, severity, other symptoms and triggers associated with the headache. I've put a link to the Migraine Trust website in the show notes, as this has a fantastic headache diary with clear advice for patients on how and what to record. Typically, with a cluster headache, patients will describe a severe unilateral headache. Cluster headaches are thought to be one of the most painful conditions known. The pain is usually focused around the eye and along the side of the face or head. 
The pain quality is variable, with patients describing sharp, boring, burning or throbbing pain. There are ipsilateral autonomic symptoms, such as conjunctival injection and lacrimation, nasal congestion, eyelid edema, forehead and facial sweating, meiosis and ortosis. The patient is often restless and agitated during an acute attack, which can last for up to a few hours, and attacks can occur several times a day. Attacks may occur with a daily rhythmicity and are common at around 2 to 3 a.m. Cluster headaches are characterised into either an episodic subtype with periods of attacks followed by a remission of the symptoms for over three months or a less common chronic subtype with less than three months of remission after a period of attacks. Cluster headaches are more common in men than women. They usually start between the ages of 24 and 40 but can occur at any age. Cluster headaches are more common in smokers, but disappointingly, smoking cessation does not seem to reduce cluster headaches once they have started. Due to the severity of the condition, it is associated with depression and anxiety, and with particularly high and concerning rates of suicidal ideation. So it is important to recognise the significant impact of the condition on the person and their family or carers. So, we have a patient presenting with these symptoms. What do we do next? The BMJ best practice advises an ESR in all patients over the age of 50 presenting with these symptoms to rule out giant cell arteritis. And the NICE guidelines suggest that all patients with a first bout of cluster headache should be referred to a neurologist for neuroimaging to rule out secondary causes of cluster headache symptoms such as pituitary adenomas, meningiomas and AV malformations. Establishing the correct diagnosis is important because, as we will see, some of the most effective treatments aren't really used in other headache disorders. Unfortunately, there is often a significant delay in diagnosis as it can be easily mistaken for migraines or trigeminal neuralgia. And then, once the diagnosis has been established, what treatment options are available? Well, like with migraine, we can split our treatment options into acute and preventative measures. Firstly, thinking about acute options, of which there are two to consider. Triptans can be very effective, and the more rapid forms of administration, such as subcutaneous and nasal triptans, seem to be preferable to the slower oral administration. Subcutaneous sumatriptan seems to be the most effective. Around 75% of patients achieve pain relief within 15 minutes. But nasal zolmatriptan or nasal sumatriptan can also result in a good resolution of symptoms. Cardiovascular risks can preclude the use of triptans. And there are limitations on how many doses can be used in a 24-hour period. For example, subcutaneous sumatriptan can only be used twice in 24 hours. And this needs to be highlighted to patients when prescribing. NICE also advised that oxygen therapy can be offered for the acute treatment of cluster headache. Oxygen also has high effectiveness. Around 70% of patients achieve pain relief within 15 minutes 
and it has a clear evidence base. It also has the benefit of a low number of side effects compared to other treatment options. Now, the NICE guidance does not stipulate that this should be initiated in secondary care. But interestingly, most of the local guidelines that I looked at either implied or stated that the oxygen was prescribed on the advice of a specialist, presumably following that initial referral for diagnosis. So this probably depends on your local prescribing policy and your confidence in prescribing. But let's imagine a scenario. You referred a patient to neurology and received a very kind letter back confirming the diagnosis of cluster headaches and requesting that you prescribe oxygen to help with the patient's acute attacks. Would you know how to prescribe or what to advise? Firstly, it is helpful to refer any patient needing home oxygen to the local home oxygen assessment and review team if available. It's important to recognise that although oxygen is well tolerated and has few side effects, it does come with additional risks such as fire and trip hazards. The specialist oxygen teams can help to educate patients so that they understand how to use oxygen safely. It's thought that around 60% of cluster headache sufferers smoke and so smoking cessation advice should be offered at every opportunity if home oxygen is in place and patients need to understand that they are responsible for using their oxygen safely. In terms of what to prescribe, the evidence base is for high flow oxygen. So on the home oxygen ordering form, or HOOF, we should be requesting 100% oxygen at 12 to 15 litres per minute. The patients need a, a non-rebreathe mask with a reservoir, and we should be prescribing one hour a day. Most patients manage with a static cylinder. A small ambulatory cylinder may be helpful for those who travel or who are away from home a lot, but even these small cylinders can be cumbersome. And so some patients choose to use oxygen when at home and to have a supply of rapid-acting triptans for travelling. Patients should be advised that if the headache has settled with oxygen, then they should continue to use it for 5 to 10 minutes after the pain has gone to prevent a rebound headache. If they have not had adequate relief from their headache within 15 minutes of oxygen therapy, they should stop using it and try an alternative method for aborting that attack. They can then try the oxygen again in the next attack. If they repeatedly don't respond to oxygen, they should let you know so that the hoof can be cancelled. In general, those who don't respond to oxygen are sadly unlikely to become responders, so there is little value in continuing the prescription. In terms of medical treatment for aborting acute attacks, these are the two options discussed in the NICE guidance. And NICE are clear that we should not be offering paracetamol, non-steroidals, opioids, ergots or oral triptans for the acute treatment of cluster headache. Now, the patient that I discussed at the beginning was asking about neuromodulation or non-invasive vagal nerve stimulators. And these are portable handheld devices that are placed on the neck to activate the vagal nerve. They can be used to try to abort acute attacks and they can also be used daily to try to prevent attacks. Non-invasive vagal nerve stimulators can be used in conjunction with other acute and preventative medications 
and trials have shown that they can reduce the average number of cluster headache attacks by 50% per week, as well as significantly reducing the need for oxygen therapy or triptans. These devices are not suitable for patients who have a metallic device in or near their neck, such as a stent or bone plate, and patients should be advised not to use other devices at the same time, such as a TENS machine or mobile phone. At present, their safety for those who have implantable medical devices, carotid atherosclerosis, hyper or hypotension, tachy or bradycardia, children and pregnant women has not been evaluated. It also appears that these devices may not be universally available and in those areas where they are available, they do need to be prescribed by a headache specialist. So moving on to other preventative treatments. Firstly, it's worth bearing in mind that those with episodic cluster headaches may only need these during their cluster period or starting just before the anticipated cluster period. For example, if they're usually affected over the winter or if they get prodromal symptoms. Whereas those with chronic attacks may need preventative treatments continuously. Preventative treatments, sadly, do not usually eliminate all the attacks, but they may be effective in reducing their frequency or intensity. Because of this, patients will still need access to effective acute treatment options. Verapamil is the only prophylactic treatment for cluster headache recommended by NICE. 120 mg three times a day seems to reduce the headache burden by around 50%. Sustained release products do not seem to be as effective. At present, Verapamil remains unlicensed for this indication and NICE advises that it should be prescribed by or on the advice of those familiar with its use for cluster headache. ECG monitoring is recommended before starting, one to two weeks after an increase in dose and every six months thereafter due to the risk of a prolonged PR interval. Specialist advice is also needed for cluster headaches that do not respond to verapamil. Various other options have been suggested, included lithium, melatonin, topiramate, sivamide, baclofen and gabapentin. There is also a new monoclonal antibody called galcinezumab that is looking promising, but all these options will require specialist input and are beyond the scope of primary care initiation. Lastly, the NICE guidance advises seeking specialist advice if treatment for cluster headache is needed during pregnancy, which reassured me that my neurology referral for the patient I discussed at the beginning of this podcast was justified. Thank you for listening, and I hope that this has been helpful. Please feel free to get in touch via social media or email me at kchesterman at gpnotebook.com if you have any questions, comments or ideas for future podcasts.